0: My name's Josh Alvarez and I'm Liam O'Donnell and you're listening to episode 111 of Cinepunks. Cinepunks. Today we are joined by Mr. Robert Newsom of the Atomic Elbow. Hello. <laughs>
1: and also you're with uh, so you do an online radio show and I want you to tell me about that because I find this to be i keep thinking that you're it's some weird performance art thing that you're still doing this tell me about this internet radio show.
2: it probably is a weird performance art thing i've been doing it for 108 episodes once a week every week wow. for 108 auspicious, weeks very I,
0: auspicious numbering sir
2: i just <laughs> it is now next week it'll be 109 and the whole mysticism is mm, gone gone um, and I did not play a 108 song on my 108th episode. I really missed that chance. And I should Failure. go back and do that. I know. <laughs> I know. I should have at least played like Holy Name or something. Uh, something. So I do um, a weekly radio show where I just play records into the internet for an hour. Uh, my first job was in radio. Um, I got a job at a radio station when I was way too young to be working legally and to be working at a radio station especially. And so I've just been interested in radio. It's what I wanted to do until the industry took a dump, um, before I had the chance to be an adult and get into it. And so, um, I did college radio and everything. And I just, I, I just like playing records, making mixtapes, stuff like that. And so this is just a way to make a mixtape and put it out there once a week that, you know, occasionally has me, I mean, I talk on it to, you know, say what songs I play, but that's about it. And then sometimes I rattle on about stuff like I'm doing now, but yeah, <laughs> internet radio show once a week for over a, over a year, almost two years actually. I love that. Yeah, it would be a little over. Well, we're getting. Are you close. trying to do math right now? Are you doing years. math? No, I'm trying to think if I took any like if I skipped any weeks, but I didn't. I had some shows banked for when I went on vacation and stuff, so it has sure. been every week. It has been every week.
0: That's amazing. What kind so, of music do you play on this show?
2: Everything, um, but mostly. I play a lot of hardcore, a lot of country music. Um, and really it's all based on if I hear a song that I like during the week, I'll kind of throw that into a list and try to pick things that thematically, at least in my mind, connect with it. Um, but it's everything, you know, the first episode was a bunch of old soul stuff, and the last, the most recent episode was a bunch of uh, country and hillbilly gospel stuff, and, you know, hardcore metal rap, <laughs> just whatever I can grab and
0: throw in there. Fair enough, man. That's pretty awesome. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's cool.
1: So, so I first heard about the Atomic Elbow, and this will not surprise you at all, uh, when I started working at Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. Uh, and both for the zine itself and then also I know you've been doing some very good shirt designs that I appreciate very much Dude, one of the which,
0: jj fad one is the best yeah. shirt ever jesus
1: fuck it's so, so good so fucking good dude. i'm i'm still mad i don't have one of those i like want to murder someone
2: i can't really take credit for that as a design i mean i just took a sure, co- sure. i just took a copy of the record to the library
1: yeah, but that's still but that's still better than anyone else. I don't see competing JJ Fad shirts being produced right now. Um, what I was going to ask is like, how did you get started doing the Zine? How did you pivot into doing these T-shirts? Like, where is where is this? Where did this come from? And where are you going with it?
2: I've been doing Zine since um, probably around 1989, 1990, um, on and off. And I had done a Zine project. Um, probably 10 or 12 years ago called 53, where I did uh, one zine every week for a whole year. And after that, I just burned myself out and um, started to focus in other directions. Um, Along with my friend Patrick Dean, I organize a one-day comics and zine show in Athens called Fluke. Uh, We've been doing Fluke since 2002. So we've... Patrick and I have been doing this show for almost 20 years now. And so I've always had an ear to the ground for small press, independent publishing, mini comics, zines, stuff like that. And I've been doing them for a long time. And um, I've always loved wrestling. And about nine years ago, I wanted to start a new zine project. And at the time, I was watching a lot of wrestling. I had uh, converted a lot of the tapes that I had done tape trading with uh, onto DVDs where I could watch them again because I didn't, my VHS player took a dump and was gone. And so I was watching this old wrestling and I started getting back into the newer stuff, independent stuff. And uh, I said, you know, I need to make a zine again. And so I, I want to combine the two. I was um, trying to take a little bit of the history of wrestling zines that goes back to the fifties, you know, the mimeographed fan letters that, that people would send out, back then and all up through in the nineties, stuff like from parts unknown and, um, zines that incorporated elements of wrestling into what they were writing about and do something that, um, was my own take on that. And I don't know if I succeeded or failed, but I've been doing it for almost 10 years and, um, it's, it's still happening. Uh, then the shirt design came around because, um, cause I met Chris reject actually. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that, that was really it. I had never thought about making shirts to that level. I had, uh, a friend of mine, uh, did a design for the atomic elbow and I had burned a screen and I was going to screen them myself and I wound up screening them myself and they came out. Okay. And then I went up to, uh, Pennsylvania for national pro wrestling day and I met Chris reject there. And I just started, you know, corresponding, keeping in touch with him and, he said, you know, I can do shirts for this much money with this kind of stuff that looks like this. And I thought it was a great idea. And so I started using him for stuff and then it just kind of took off. And I started thinking about shirt design, but not design. Just what's the stupidest thing you can put on a t-shirt. And I started getting more and more abstract with the wrestling themed stuff, but just making it stupider and stupider until, um you get to stuff like the uh the screenshot of championship wrestling from florida that just has the information about who cuts gordon Soly's hair
1: no that's the um, best fucking thing that is the best fucking thing and i by the way i have one of those shirts as i as i'm sure you know and it's for a friend of mine who is way more of a mark than i am and i keep forgetting because i don't want to mail it to him i want to hand it to him and i haven't gotten to see him in a long time and i'm so frustrated
2: My only regret about the cancellation of WrestleMania, aside from the fact that it ruined, um, the finances for a lot of indie companies is that I had people who are going to go to the location of the now closed Lucy's fancy salon in Tampa and wear uh-huh. those shirts in front of the Lucy's Fancy <laughs> Salon location so that at least there could be some sort of closure that image could find its way back home back to the location <laughs> of Lucy's Fancy Salon in Tampa but un- unfortunately it was not to be this year
0: i mean stuff happens stuff happens yeah and you can always go back later when like the world's open again
2: we'll like, get there i'll true. get i'll get there i'll I'll get to Tampa i'm sure there's a lot more than Lucy's Fancy Salon in Tampa
0: uh arguably florida in general doesn't have a lot more i don't know just saying i'm not a florida fan I'm sorry if this, uh, i'm sorry if this uh this ruins the listening experience for, for our listeners in the florida state but yeah man you know i saying. don't
2: have uh i don't really have you know a side in that fight one way or the other but i will say that in <laughs> my opinion currently the best hardcore scene in the united states is south florida
0: south florida
1: yeah. I, I mean, here's the thing, Josh. Uh, my man has a point. It's just hard because you're of a you, – the stuff coming out from South Florida is not really
0: your favorite kind of hardcore is how I would put that. What kind of hardcore is it? Like what bands are we talking about? I don't, I'll admit I have no idea what South South Florida hardcore bands are out now. Stuff like Seed of
2: Pain, Point of Contact, Envision. Uh, um, that stuff. Yeah, you know, riffs, just ignorant, ignorant riffs. Like when you hear it, you forget how to do math. Just thick <laughs> knuckle dragging chugs, and they're all related.
1: Like the guy, like the dude from Seed of Pain. One of the dudes from Seed of Pain is in Eco Strike, was in Blistered. You know what I mean? Like a lot of these bands intertwine. There's like new bands featuring people from uh, Mouths at the Palace. Like there's just so many like connected stuff in Florida, and some good stuff. out. but that that Seed of Pain record, the new one that just came out, the full length is. It's, it's amazing. It's so good, and I was kind of skeptical on that band, partly because the folks who love that band kind of get on my nerves in the Philadelphia area. I'm kind of like, well, I don't know. These guys front on a lot of stuff that I think is kind of whack. So uh, I guess I'll give it a shot. And I listened to it the day it came out. I was like, oh, I'm in. This is yeah, great. I it's love great. It. And the point I refer contact- to all
0: that stuff as
1: Liam Hardcore. You do know. <laughs> Okay, first of all, that's not (laughs) fair, because I listen to a lot more, like, um, West Philly knuckle dragger stuff than even you do, so... No, this is true, but
0: when I hear about bands like Line of Sight, and I hear about bands like that, that's what I... Like, oh, yeah, Liam bands.
1: Oh, my... This is like when you accused me of liking Drake. Robert, famously, famously, (laughs) famously, Josh got into Drake... "Quote unquote for me," even though I fucking hate Drake. I've never listened to Drake. I have no. I I in fact have gotten in fights with people about how much I dislike Drake. Josh is like, "Hey, I got it. I was started listening to your boy. I'm
0: really into it." I was like, "Okay, which one?" Because there's all kinds of stuff I like. Josh doesn't like, and he's like Drake, and I'm like, "Fucking hate Drake. What are you talking about?" To be clear, I started listening to it at the mental hospital that I work at to make crazy people not be too mad at Sure, me. <laughs> fair, fair. And I was like, oh, well, Liam likes this stuff, so let's give it a shot. Drake, okay. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that was like all proud of myself. Like, guess what, Liam? Guess whose horizons are expanding? <laughs> this guy.
1: When- When you started with it too, my fingers were so crossed it was going to be Frank Ocean. I was like, "Yes, Josh is finally (laughs) on the the Frank Ocean parade." And then it was not that.
0: Yeah, no, it went south quickly.
2: Yeah, so so famously a Drake fan though. (sighs) (laughs)
1: So Robert, a (laughs) we love the zine, we love the shirts. But honestly, we didn't actually have you on to talk about those things. I just wanted you to. We're really here to talk movies. And specifically, you have asked us to watch and then discuss with you a little film called War. And before we go into our big segment, I just wanted to ask, how did you find this movie? And why did you want to talk about it with us?
2: I found this movie because my friend Ed from Chicago sent me back in December a um, some sort of internet thing that had a a link to a clip of that fight scene near the beginning that's shot as if it's just one long shot following tiger trough around and we'll get there but there was and i don't remember if it was a video clip or a gif or whatever but i was like wow this is really cool i want to see this movie and i ed said oh this is from a film called war and so typed that into the internet and found the Jason Statham, uh, isn't it Jason Statham and Jet Li, I think, are in a movie called War. And yep. and I was watching that and I was like, well, this is pretty good, but where's that guy? And where's that scene? It never showed up. And then I realized that he was talking about a completely different film <laughs> uh, called War um, when when uh, they sent me that um, that clip. So, what I did uh, was, you know, the research found this, watched it, absolutely loved it, um, and it was my favorite film of 2019. It's <laughs> and, and you said you said a little film. There's literally nothing little about this, and I think nothing, that, not a goddamn thing. I think when, when Ed told me about this, um, you know, I, I couldn't tell if they were serious or or if if they were really recommending this because there's so much going on, but, um, I, 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 they were serious and I wound up loving this film. And, um, because you and I've talked about this before, I don't have a lot of critical facility for film. Um, so if stuff blows up and dudes get smashed into stuff, all right, I'm on board. Um, (laughs) but, but, and again, we'll get into it, but I absolutely loved this film and I have started recommending it to, to, Anybody who will listen to me uh, about
0: movies. (laughs) I could appreciate that, man. Good work. Good work.
1: I I love that level of passion. And I, you know, uh, I kind of knew what I was getting myself into because I had also heard of this movie from people who like a certain thing and they were losing their shit when it came to this film. And I knew kind of like because of who they were and what they were saying, I was like, oh, okay, I think I know what this is. And yet this movie still had a lot of surprises, a lot
0: of things I did
1: not fucking see
0: coming. Yeah, there were definitely moments throughout this two-and-a-half-hour runtime when I'm like... (laughs) Wait a minute. Am I high? Did I fall asleep for something? Like, Did I miss something? <laughs> it's so glorious, though. Okay, I it love is, this fucking movie. Yeah, It is
2: horribly confusing the first time you watch it. And what I noticed, because I've watched it with other people, and they're seeing it for the first time, and obviously I'm not, is that the more you see it, the more it starts to become a cohesive whole. And I don't know if everybody has the time to rewatch a 47 hour long movie, <laughs> but this is the kind of movie that I absolutely love watching with someone who's never seen it before. And right. so until everyone I know has seen it, I'm going to keep rewatching
0: it. There are all those limitless opportunities for you to show this to someone for the first time.
2: I was going to say until Siddhartha Nan and uh, Tiger Shroff's next movie comes out. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Which do we, do we want to blow what that is? Do you know what that is? I have no idea. No, no, no.
0: They're working on a remake of Rambo.
1: Jesus I just Christ. slapped
0: myself in the face. Yeah, I just slapped myself in the face.
1: Okay, before we get too worked up about this movie or about a possible fucking Rambo remake. Reboot. Yeah. Reboot, whatever the fuck. Let's take a second. Uh, <laughs> we have a gimmick that we're that we usually do, but before we do that, we want to take a second thank all of our supporters on Patreon. Thank you so much. Uh, I know we've been saying for a few episodes now that we're working on something for Patreon, but I know that Josh is working on it, um, and him and my man Justin Laura working on it, and it's going to be really great. Should be also, cool. Should be cool. Also, Justin is putting together a special release of. Harvest the stuff for people on Patreon. So uh, if you're not on Patreon, you're not going to get access to that. F- FYI. Uh, we also want to thank, even though we've already done basically advertising for him by talking about how he's influenced our lives but we do want to uh, recommend people check out xlvacx.com for all of their screen printing needs uh lehigh value power creations um we're going to be uh making sure to front them a lot more because i finally have a new shirt designed for them to print so it's like i'm actually we're actually getting the sponsor benefit now if i print these shirts so uh <laughs> which reminds me we're going to be dropping a new shirt soon so keep your out for that uh we basically had to change if 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 Folks were wondering what happened to all our shirts. We still have them. We just have to switch our, our shirt, our uh, what what program we're using to sell them because the one the store we had set up was not working out. So we're going to set up a new store. We're going to have a new shirt design. It's going to be great. There's also some new harvest designs coming down the road, and uh, we're hoping to get some shirts up for our other shows. Uh, we just have to work with people to figure out like what they want to do and what their designs are. But I've seen some of the pitches, and they're they're pretty good. So uh, keep an eye out for that stuff. Now, Josh. Yes. There's something that we're supposed to do right now. And is this not... what is
0: known in the wrestling world as a gimmick?
1: This is, uh, I mean, that's probably giving it too much respect, actually, because <laughs> we, actually... we, we haven't worked on it as hard as you'd probably work on a gimmick, honestly.
0: Right, right. I have but... no idea about any sports, so, Yena. You know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: i like i like the idea that under your list of things sports things you're not a jock enough to understand you've included wrestling uh, as well as other sports i appreciate <laughs> yeah. that uh, just what but, it is baby just what it is <laughs> you're like is anyone exerting themselves in any way then I'm, i can't be involved
0: i'm sorry Is there a competitive nature in here that is not battle of the bands none of my business <laughs> that's how that goes down just saying um
1: so uh what
0: is this thing that we do again i, I always forget what it's called there's like a discussion that happens at this point typically for 110 episodes prior to this i believe yes yeah and uh i don't know what exactly what did what do we do when we do this part here liam
1: oh i think at the same time we say (laughs) Jack." (laughs) <laughs> this is so much harder to do on Skype.
0: I know. I so much hate that I don't get to do this in the room with you. It's so lame. It's so. We lame. need that
1: body language, man. There's it's something true, about man. that body language. Maybe we should turn our video on just for this part and then turn it back off.
0: No, nah, I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Go. <laughs> so, I
1: mean, I'm not saying
0: now. I'm just in the No, no. Room. Maybe in the future, we'll, we'll 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 make we'll a committee. We'll, we'll workshop it. it. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll yeah. go over it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Robert. What have you done recently that is whack or on track?
2: I can tell you that I have not left my home since April the 3rd. So um, I haven't really done a whole lot.
1: Um, I mean, done is loose. I think it's read, listened to, watched, whatever.
2: Um, there's, There's a very on track thing. That, that I've been listening to a lot lately. Um, it's the new record from a band from France called Verbal Razors. I don't know if wow. you're familiar with them or not. Um, no. Again, it's real ignorant riff, hardcore, uh, but it has more of kind of a thrash influence. I guess you could call it crossover, but it's got those really thick you know, Neanderthal riffs. Again, you will forget how to drive. You will forget <laughs> how to tie your shoes. It's really good stuff. Uh, so that's been getting a lot of play. So What's it called again? It, the band is called Verbal Razors, mm. which is not the best band name. All right, I'll, I'll give you that. Um, but the record is called By Thunder and Lightning. And if you see the record cover, you might think, I don't want to see that. That's not for me. But it's, <laughs> yeah, it's good times. It's got some weird, like, monster eating a power line. It's It's real cartoony. <laughs> um, it, it looks like it might be like a scatterbrain record, but it's, uh, yeah, it's good. I I'm, I've been really into that lately. So that, that is, that's definitely on track for me.
0: You know, it's funny. My only history with French hardcore is Jasmine <laughs> and Ivich and, uh, Amanda Woodward. Um, what were those other bands? There were like a few French, like screamy, screamy hardcore bands I used to, like, really get into. Amanda Woodward was the one that I thought about a lot. But uh, one of the reasons why um, CinePunks and uh, why Liam's my friend is because at a show uh, a million years ago, I managed to find a CD of um, all the Jasmine songs. And Liam broke it in half accidentally because it was in my bag. And he pushed someone and they broke my CD. And I was like, ooh this is like pre-internet. So I didn't know how else to get it. You know what I mean? And uh, <laughs> yeah, I was real mad. And so out of spite, I became uh, super good buds with Liam.
2: <laughs> That'll show him.
0: I know. I was like, oh, yeah, you're not going to forget this day, buddy. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. French hardcore. I'm into it. I'll yeah. check it out.
2: Verbal Razors. It's good. To, it's good. And they're on a, um, a record label called Crapulé. And uh, they have a band camp. And they put out a bunch of great stuff, not just French, but um, a lot of European punk and hardcore bands, this band called Doctrina that had a really good record last year. And, um, Veneno. um, they had a lot of good bands on that label. So I don't know, mm. highly recommended medium recommended. It's good stuff.
0: We'll check. We'll check. All right, cool. Nothing whack though, other than staying home since April 3rd,
2: just staying home and honestly working from home in a chair that, that was not designed to be sat in for as long as I've been yeah, sitting in it. Yeah. Um, I was doing a lot of online chair shopping today because our uh, our department at work sent an email out that everybody's work from home is extended through the end of May. So ah, I'm, I'm definitely – a chair purchase is, is upcoming, definitely.
1: Yeah, where I'm sitting right now is this like uh, way when I first moved to Philly – I'm not the first because I lived there when I was a kid. But when I first moved there as an adult in like 2009, I bought this dining room set. Uh, at ikea for like 60 bucks that was like a wood table and four matching chairs and now 11 years later i still have the set but the chairs are like slowly falling apart and that's where i'm sitting is this like horrible wood chair and it's where i'm always sitting when i'm recording so by the end of every recording i'm like
2: i gotta get up this is bad i hate this (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's usually kind of a race for me at work to like, I'm I, around four forty five. I start watching the clock counting down to five because my back is just screaming. And I know that, and God, this is such a terrible problem to have, right? No one in the world has a bigger problem than this. And yeah, uh, you're so, and so like at five o'clock I can immediately just go to the couch and stretch out and not have to sit in this horrible chair. But, and again, a bad chair, worst problem of all time
1: (laughs) it's still not great man you don't gotta totally beat yourself up about this
0: yeah man dude physical comfort is a high premium to to sacrifice in the name of capital you know it's all we got right now i feel you i feel you dog
1: josh what about you whacking on track
0: a lot of whack a lot of whack for me this week yeah yeah it's been brutal so um for listeners who know i've been uh i'm an essential worker in a psych unit right and um a couple weeks ago I got attacked by a patient, and it was a bummer. And um, just with all like the COVID stuff going on, it's been like super duper like fucking stressful for me. And um, so I had a doctor appointment, and I had to do a telehealth doctor appointment with my doctor. And they're like, "Hey, man, you know what? It looks like you need a little bit of a vacation because there's steam coming out of your ears, and your eyes are glowing red. So that's probably not good." So uh, my doc wrote me a note for like a cup for two weeks off as like a stress leave. And so now the way the hospitals are dealing with like these kinds of things is they're taking outside contractors to handle all of like the family medical leave of absence stuff. And so I had to, even though I had a doctor note and all that stuff, I had to apply for my FMLA through this outside company. And they denied my FMLA saying that the doctor's note um, wasn't written appropriately or whatever. And they were like, yeah, this is not an acute problem. So, I've <laughs> been out Jesus. of work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, the email of my rejection for FMLA came a week after I'd been out. So, it was like this whole like, run around and like I've had to like... it's it just See, and the funny thing is I'm out because of my doctor's note for stress. And this whole fucking thing just made all the stress of all like the shit just come right back. That's <laughs> the so, fucking worst. Yeah, boy. So, this whole week has been like this horrible negotiation of trying to make sure that I get paid at the end of this and like... Uh, you know, so I can just return to work and not be, like, ready to kill somebody, and um, I managed to get it all squared away, so, you know, I'm trying to take it easy and all that other stuff, but, man, it's 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 not a good world out there right now, man. I don't know if you guys noticed. This shit is wild, and, like, I'm trying to keep my head up. I'm trying to stay posy about it, but it's also, like, Dog, I got I got fucking nothing. I'm playing with this here yo-yo. I got a good yo-yo. My brother bought me a yo-yo. And we've been learning yo-yo tricks on the internet. It's cool. Because, you know, that's what cool dudes do. Didn't know if you are aware of that. And um, so I've been, I don't know, doing that and all that other stuff. And I watched a couple movies. I saw The Lodge. Um, how was that? I'm going to say I don't know how I felt about Goodnight Mommy after I finished watching it. It was one of those movies that when that movie was done, I was kind of like, huh. And um, this movie is directed by the same people who did Goodnight Mommy. So it's like weirdly looks like a horror movie that happened in an Ikea. Not just because of of the whites, not just because of the whites, but also because of all the weird furniture that's in this fucking movie. Yeah. um, But uh, same reaction at the end. I was just kind of like, huh. And um, there's a lot of stuff in it that just didn't really make any sense to me. So like the narrative didn't exactly work for me. But despite that, there was a whole lot of like, uncomfortable atmosphere throughout the movie so i really enjoyed that and uh, i got to sink my teeth into that so that was that was pretty fun and um i've also been working my way through um a couple movies on criterion namely i've been watching um i've been watching these early malcolm mcdowell movies oh sure yeah yeah so there's a trilogy of um of movies that he did in the 60s of the director named Lindsay Anderson and they're known as the uh the Mick Travis trilogy so the first movie in the trilogy is called If it's a 1968 movie and um yo I love that shit that shit is all the way right up my alley it is like it's him as a schoolboy in an all boys boarding school in England And like the weird social structure of like, you know, the, the freshmen and like, he's a member of, he's a member of a gang called the Crusaders. And then there's like, um, like the, the popular kids are known as like the whips and all this other stuff. The thing is, it's this completely like bizarre Britannica version of like Catcher in the Rye, but then it goes into this strange, almost surrealist tangents. So by the end of the movie, it's just completely absurd. And um, yeah, um, there's two more movies in that trilogy that I'm working through. The second one is like three hours long, so I haven't had a chance to get through that just yet. But uh, I'm planning to hopefully get through the next two in the next week before I have to go back to work or whatever. You know what I'm saying? So um, those are definitely on track. I would highly suggest those. If you're into like that weird 1960s, like not psychedelia, but just bizarreness that came from England around that time. Uh highly recommend it. I totally love it. And Malcolm McDowell as a young man is fucking awesome to watch. You could definitely see where like the Clockwork Orange came from, given his like the way he acts in these movies, because they're pretty fun. They're just weird, you know? But yeah, way into that. So I've been watching those. And then uh, I watched War for this, and that's where I'm at. So those are on track.
1: That's I feel I you. I feel you. Um I would Generally speaking, not have much to talk about right now. I also have not been watching a ton of movies. Um, I have a lot of things that I have started and not had time to finish because, you know, you guys know, listeners know, I have um, a number of podcasts I'm on that I have to watch movies for. So the only things I've been able to finish recently, I finished Underwater and thought it was fine, fun, but not great. Um, and then I finished a movie called St. Francis. You know about this movie? No. Uh, it's one of these new indie releases. Like I- I've basically been trying to catch, when I do have time to watch a movie, catch something where I can support a theater, and this is one of the movies where if you go to your local art house theater, you can pay for it, and then that money goes to support the theater. So St. Francis is mm, a quirky indie comedy about uh, abortion. And in fact... Um, is kind of an interesting pair with uh, the last... Was that the last episode we did? Yeah, we the did last the episode we did where we yeah, talked yeah, yeah. about it's, um, uh, rarely, never, rarely, never, rarely, sometimes, sometimes always. always. Yeah. yeah, So it's an interesting comparison with that because it's also someone who is getting an elective procedure but is an adult and is working as a nanny. And so sort of the comparison between their work with this child and then their decision about their own pregnancy. Uh, but it's like... Even though it's serious, it's still primarily a comedy. It's just more of like a dramedy, you know what I mean? So uh, anyways, it's charming. It's good. It suffers from some of the things like certain kinds of indie films just can't help but have twee moments, you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, Uh, It's just how they are, you know? So, But I I still liked it. Um, So I was, you know, not a lot to talk about except for... Just yesterday, well, technically the night before yesterday, but everyone found out about it yesterday, uh, Mindforce released their new record, Swinging Swords and Chopping Lords. And I'll tell you what, that (laughs) shit slaps. It is so good. Oh my gosh. It is very good. It's only four songs, so uh, am I going to buy the four song 12-inch? Probably not. That's just not enough songs for me to buy it.
2: Can can I just jump in? And I'm sorry to. I, I don't want to. No, do go that ahead. Again. Okay, that record rules. A hundred percent agreed. There, the record itself as a physical object sold out. But what I don't understand, and hardcore bands love it, is five minutes of music on a yeah. twenty dollar twelve inch.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's
1: that's some Come shit. Come he, Here's I, the thing. I, I, I 100% people, Josh will know this, though I am friends with the man, I generally find the hot takes of uh, Self-Defense's Patrick Kinlan, they drive me crazy. I, I know him, we've met, we've hung out, but his internet hot takes drive me crazy, except for on this issue, which is that when you can buy digital music for sense- then I don't care that the physical object is expensive. In fact, I urge record companies to charge more for your records. I think all records should be beautiful objects that are slightly expensive because (laughs) otherwise we're wasting our time. No one needs physical media anymore. Physical media should only exist as an extravagant item that you want to cherish for a long time. And that way it makes sense for bands to continue
2: to make physical media. That's my take. I don't know. I'll i have to think on that. I don't know if I can get down with that.
1: Don't get me wrong. Am I getting this thing? No, but that's because I'm poor, and I deny myself all kinds of things <laughs> as a poor person. But if I had a regular income, I would just buy it because it's beautiful, and no, that's what no, I'm paying for is how beautiful it is. I don't need it to listen to the music, and, and I think that's partly a thing is that um, – uh, If you are, for a lot of people who are going to get this record, they're heavy streamers anyway. So I would bet that a third of them will never listen to the record. They're just buying it to have it because it's cool, and they don't care that it's only four songs. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, but like I just started streaming music last month. Right, that's what I'm I'm... saying. And it's slowly breaking my brain. So I can see, (laughs) like if we had had this conversation seven weeks ago, (laughs) I would absolutely be hardlining you like, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. Right. Once I started not leaving my house, staying at home, I was like, well, let's, let's see what this whole streaming music thing is about. And so I'm slowly wrapping my head around it, but it's still wildly confusing to me. I don't understand it at all, but I get your point. I get your point about that. You're not buying the music you're buying an object. But for me, being an old man right <laughs> it's very difficult to separate the object from its contents
1: i 100% get that and i was in the same space and that's why i collect records is for the uh for the point of them like uh, most of the records i own are not fancy they're records i found that were nice enough that the music sounded good but i didn't care about anything else and when someone made the case about why they're better there's more life into the future as cool collector's objects that are also useful. You can listen to them, but that's not the only concern. Because I think previously, if, if a band was like, hey, yo, we got this fancy one, and we've got this bare bones one, I'm going to go for the bare bones one. Only now, with me, I've fully adapted to streaming. I listen to records at home, but I can totally stream anything I want. The bare bones thing is now the other direction. I'm like... Fuck this Bare Bones record. What the fuck is this shit? (laughs) Why is it like this? I don't need this in my life. I can just hear this music at any time. And not just streaming. Because of Bandcamp, I can own it. I can own this music for pennies. So if I'm going to give you actual money, I better be buying something that's cool, or else I don't know why I'm giving you money. And that's like uh, only in the last year. But in the last year, I have started saying, I'm only going to buy records that look cool. And I'm not buying... (laughs) Records that don't look cool anymore. Now, again, all that being said, I get the theory of it. I think it's hard because this is a leader in that field. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, you go to Japan for a hardcore show. It's going to cost you 40 bucks to get to the hardcore show. But the first hardcore show here that charges 40 bucks, everyone's going to go, fuck you, man. I'm not paying $40. It's crazy. But, like, you know, th- that's because, uh, like, like the Amish, uh, hardcore has decided <laughs> that the, the world moving forward economically has nothing to do with us, and we should all continue to live as if the dollar is only worth so much. And, you know, the reality is that's not how things work anymore. But, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, well, like I the
2: Amish. <laughs> I definitely don't think that we should go back to seven inches being $3 postpaid, but I don't know. I, I feel like there's a middle ground that I'm, I'm missing. But again, I'm a very old man. And I am very set in some ways that got set a long time ago. So that's probably where a lot of this is coming from for me.
1: I think I'm just thinking about the idea that like, if bands made more money, then it would be easier for them to exist in the world. And when I say that, I don't mean and then live off it. Because I actually think even if they made more money than they're making most mid-level bands still need full-time jobs like they don't like only a few bands in our world can live off it and the life that they're living it's not that great there's no retirement plan like
0: yeah it's not extravagant you know no.
2: the, the flip side to that and and I will shut up after this but <laughs> this is this has long been my theory let's say that that and we're not even talking about mind force anymore that record rules there's no question about it's that so so good. So, so okay if they press say a thousand and sold a thousand for 20 bucks, right? Okay. They, that's a good chunk of money for that record. Good for them. They deserve it. I'm not begrudging them that at all, but my opinion, and I don't know if I'm right or not, is that if they pressed 3000 and sold them for $15, they probably would have sold all of those. So they would have made more money overall.
1: I feel what I feel what you're saying, but I think that takes a confidence and an initial investment that a lot of record labels are not trying to do. Plus, I think at whether the band is thinking about this or not, I know the labels thinking if we every time we repress this motherfucker, change it, we're going to get people who buy every version.
2: Oh, that's a long time hardcore trick.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's I, and, and I'll tell you what, I don't even think it's a trick if it's actually intelligent. Like You know what I hate about splatter records or different colored records is when your color scheme has nothing to do with the color scheme of your record. That's bad design. But if you're like, <laughs> yo, we've got three versions and they all match this color scheme of the record, I'm like, that's good design. I appreciate what you did there. And if I was someone who had... Ex- I mean, this is all in theory, right? I have not been someone with expendable income since college. Like, you know what I mean? Like I'm 40 years old and I haven't had extra money for 18 years. So I'm out here telling bands to put out eight versions of their record, knowing full well that I'm only going to get this record if I find it used for half the cost it <laughs> was new because I don't have money like that. So like this is all theoretical for me. So I should probably just stop talking about it. But in my brain, I think if you if you do it right, you could you could sell it as a Item like a like a like a cool thing to own.
0: I mean, my band did a record in three different colors that doesn't change with the with the jackets. (laughs) Just saying, yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. But see, I only buy one, so I got to choose it right. Like (laughs) that's true. It's like, well, cross keys, I got the blue one because it looks better. But like a lot of this is also based on me being mad that the Mind Mindforce record sold out before I could get a copy. So 100%. Let's, let's let's keep that in our minds as well. <laughs> I also,
1: pure... I, I, yo, but this is also just for me, yo. Like I'm saying all this stuff like they should do what they want and charge what they want. On the real reel, when I realized it was four songs and it was a 12-inch, I was like, yo, dog, like I'm not going to listen to that all the time cuz it's four songs. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the cross keys record is actually the, what I want. It's six songs. You know, like I want six songs. Like <laughs> on
0: one side of a record cuz we didn't want to pay the extra to have another matrix created for the second side. So that's why we put it all on one side.
1: <laughs> but I I actually prefer a six song one side to a fourth. four songs just feels like not a lot of songs to me. And granted that's me also being pissy, but that's less about the economics of it for me and more about the I think Mindforce is the kind of band where I'm not going to get tired of them. Yet I heard the interview where our man, uh, the singer dude, straight up said, I never want to do a full length again. And I broke a little bit on the inside. Like, <laughs> no, I want a full length. I want a full thing from you. But whatever. It's They're very good. The four songs are very good. I'll admit I listened to them. Oh, yeah? Did you like it?
0: I did. I had actually a huge conversation with Grace Kim this morning about it and uh, how much I like it. It's really good.
1: In the interview, they definitely cited um, Ozzy, not vocally, but guitar-wise as a big influence on the record, and that like
0: really like got me thinking about the record even more than
1: I do- normally would.
0: <laughs> yes, I like it a lot too, but I don't buy records. I don't have a turntable, so, you know, <laughs> party. <laughs> That's no, true. I... My,
1: my record collection is better because you gave up
0: on vinyl. Yeah, it's true. Well, it's cool though, man. I couldn't think of a better recipient for all my uh, ass-suck records. <laughs> Still fucking love that band. Just saying.
1: That's the end of whacking on Track, unless anyone's thought of anything else they want to add.
0: Uh, me and Milani watched the first season of uh, the R. Kelly show.
1: Oh, Jesus.
0: Yeah, because the world isn't the trash fire enough. I need more things to be depressed about. So, so there was rough. that. Yeah, man. I Dude. Uh,
1: oh, you know what? I will lift up something positive we did, which is, Josh, I don't know if you've seen this, that Middle Ditch and... What's the other fucking guy's name? Uh oh, yeah. yeah. Schwartz. Ben Schwartz. Ye- yeah. Yeah. That John. I've only watched the first two of the three. Uh, but that shit was
0: funny. That shit I was, was really funny. Yeah, I, I, thought I thought it was really great.
1: Yeah. I watched the first one,
0: and as a person who's taken an improv comedy class, I gotta say, yeah, um <laughs> <laughs> I watched that whole first episode and gave me like fever hives. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> what the fuck? I was supposed to do this, yo. Fuck all of that shit, man. I, I took a whole six-week course on that shit, and I ain't doing that shit ever again. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> not happening. Yeah. Not your boy. I mean,
1: to be fair, they're very good at it.
0: Yeah. To be fair, I enjoyed it, but it also just incited in me, it, it like lit this horrific tension bomb. <laughs> I was like, we were supposed to do this with Bruce? Like, oh man, it was, it was a lot to take in. But um, that said, I did enjoy episode one. So, you know, will I get to episode two? I don't know. But I enjoyed the first one say
1: i i needed something i you know a lot of the shows i'm watching right now are not that uplifting so i needed something silly to watch for a little while though i will say i'm still very much wrapped up people are paying attention in the legend of cora and that shit is my bomb okay um uh okay well we'll take a quick break we'll be right back uh and we're gonna get real deep with robert here about war the good the bad but mostly the good. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We'll be right back after the break.
0: We are back. We are here talking with Mr. Robert Newsom of The Atomic Elbow, and we are here to discuss a movie called, simply, War.
1: Robert, (laughs) what is this movie about? Can you give us a
2: synopsis? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, there's this guy named Kabir, who is... Part of a, a daring, highly trained special mission force. And he is assigned at the beginning of the film with an assassination. Um, and he, uh, you know, he shoots a different guy than he was supposed to shoot. And that sets in motion this whole sequence of events about Kabir and... And his history in the special forces and his history, especially in the special forces with a co-worker named Khalid, who is played by Tiger Shroff, who joins as sort of this younger guy that he takes on that Kabir takes under his wing. But then Kabir turns out to be a traitor and Khalid has to figure out why Kabir is a traitor and there's all these twists and turns about why Kabir is doing what he's done, and there's just this conspiracy where the whole thing's rotten, and at some point, some people switch faces, and um, then there's this car chase on ice, and a church gets destroyed.
0: I don't know what this movie's about. Yeah, there are not one, but two dance sequences. Oh, it's it's the, the... the movie is
1: unapologetically still Bollywood. It is not It is not Bollywood making a, a Fast and Furious movie. It is, in the sense of not being Bollywood anymore, it is the Bollywood take on a Fast and Furious movie.
2: And see, I don't know a whole or, lot. Or Mission Impossible. I don't know a whole lot about Indian cinema. I mean, I think that, you know, a white guy in America seeing this is bringing different things to it. And I think a lot of throughout history, Indian cinema has been presented to white American audiences as, Hey, check out this thing. It's real weird. Kind of like the way Americans sometimes do with Japanese popular culture where it's not presented as a thing. That's making the statement it's trying to make. It's presented as these people aren't like us. Look how weird this is. And so I try to watch it with in mind that there are conventions and and traditions that this is sort of adhering to that are flying right over my head, but the musical number in the middle of a, a really fast-paced, well, not really fast-paced, it's two and a half hours long, but in the middle of a fast-paced action movie is definitely jarring if you're not used to Indian cinema. Yeah. And, you know, since I watched War, I went on this real big kick of just finding Indian cinema action movies and and trying to watch as many of them as I could and it's it's just a thing that happens you know it's just you can you just you sit down with it and you're like all right well you know I'm feeling kind of hungry but I'll wait until the dance sequence starts and then I'll go make a sandwich or something no so not wait a minute, me
1: Robert, I mean love the dance me, sequence
0: you mean to tell me you've been going down an a Bollywood action film wormhole oh absolutely oh my god so wait so, so, my first question then would be Yo, how does this compare to like other Bollywood action movies? Is it in line with them or is it like a complete, like, westernized anomaly?
2: I think that a lot of them, and, and I haven't seen many. I mean, I've, I've probably watched, you know, seven, eight since December. That's, That's more a than lot, us. Dude. That's, That's way, way more lot. than us. Yeah. But um, I think that uh, there are some that have more of a comedic element. And there was definitely some comedy kind of weirdly shoehorned into war, but a lot of them are, um, you know, they have a stronger comedic element in there. Like the the comic relief is, it's almost, and and again, white guy from America, I can't comment on it, but I know that in the early days of American cinema and, and really up to a certain point, to where cinema became uh, viewed as sort of this art form, it was we make these movies and we put something for everybody in there because we know that going to the movies is your day. The whole family's going to go. That's your day out, and it almost seems like that. You know, you've got mm-hmm. the musical numbers, the dance, the comedy, the action, the romance. It's it's all in there, so. There's something for dad, something for grandma, something for the, you know, something for the kids, something for everybody who goes. I'm not saying that's how this was made or that that's what was in mind behind this, but that's what it felt like to me. You know, there's there's well, something in here for everybody.
1: But it is part of the tradition of Bollywood. I, I haven't watched a lot of Bollywood action films, but I have watched a chunk of Bollywood movies. Like obviously not uh, uh, a representative amount because they make a lot of movies. Like it's more... Technically, the Indian film industry is is uh, uh, way more productive than Hollywood, actually, that they make a ton of movies and have been for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in every single one that I've seen, the dance sequence is part of it. And what's interesting is um, in a lot of the more romantic ones, the dance sequence is in place of the love scene that the, you can't they can't the couple can't even kiss. Let alone have a uh, intimate interaction. So the the dance sequence is where you get all those uh, juices out. That's where you get all the all the passion that would be in an American scene, uh, an American movie, uh, an actual love scene. In in a lot of these films, it's it's the dance sequence, and they're expressing in the song their feelings for each other and everything like that. Which is what makes the
2: dance sequence in this movie really work for me because
1: that's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> <And> this then... <laughs> the,
2: the musical number, the first musical number, Jai Jai Shiv Shankar. Yeah, is... yeah, yeah, yeah super romantic. And Dude, so good too. Yeah, like it's like they're awesome. longingly looking. And it, it is one of the best I've rewatched just that scene. Cause that there's there's clips that you can find you know online of just that scene. And it's I I can't stop re-watching it.
0: It's so good. I love it. <laughs> it's I love so, it. So so good.
1: So um let's go ahead and say if if you guys are okay with this, I'm okay with saying that Um, As we discuss this movie, there's going to be spoilers because I think it's helpful for understanding the various twists and turns. Is that okay with you guys?
2: It's fine with me, but I can say that I still don't fully understand all of the twists and turns. So as long as we go into it knowing that, because uh, I've got... I actually have a flowchart of the plot that I tried to draw out while I watched it again before this podcast. So I think I have a little better understanding of it.
0: It's wow.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: So, well, uh, okay. So we've got a pretty good feeling from you as to how you feel about the film. I think you love it. Um we me and Josh probably have already sort of telegraphed a little bit about how we feel about it but I'd like to get officially on the record. Josh what are your thoughts about this movie? I know you hadn't seen it before. Um I don't know how familiar you are. I, I I think like me you haven't watched a lot of Bollywood action films. Certainly not recent ones. So what did you think of this movie? It's cool. It's cool. Stop. No, stop. no, no, no. Uh
0: so I started this movie with no idea what I was walking into cuz I only barely know Robert through social media, right, Rob? Like, I don't, like, know you, know you, like, a long time or anything like that. So I don't know anything about your movie taste or anything. So I'm going into this movie being like, all right, man. Well, this is what we're talking about for the show. So I'm just going for it. And let me tell you what. That first sequence with the sniper rifle and all that stuff blew my mind. And then moving forward, just the whole thing... It's majestic. It was like seeing a unicorn. And I've never seen, honestly, I've never seen any other Bollywood movies. I don't know anything about Bollywood action movies or anything like that at all. So this is completely like patient zero for that for me. If sure. if I were to explore further, it, this will be the thing that I compare anything that I see after this to. But man, what a movie, huh? It was like two hairdressers that were madly in love with each other just fighting. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so good <laughs> I mean it really is like I you know, friend of the show Ed Travis, as soon as I posted about it was like, you know I love this movie and and what I said to him was like, yeah, two beautiful men are trying to kill each other when you suspect that maybe they should be making out and that's like your favorite kind of movie and he's like, yeah, definitely it's a, it's unbelievable and he goes, plus th- th- there's dancing <laughs>
0: <laughs> It's so good, dude it's it's one of those it felt like I was watching. The latest installment of the Mission Impossible franchise mm. that somehow got fucked by Climax, the movie that, that came out by Gaspar Noé, and this is what you end up with, <laughs> with without the Scientology at the end. It's, yo, yo. what <laughs> the fuck, man? It was awesome. So, you know, Robert, how you said you like showing this to people so you get to watch their reactions okay. to watching this movie the first time? Mm-hmm. I definitely dig that sentiment. This is the kind of movie that if I were to show it to someone, we would be sitting in front of the television watching it, but then I would turn around and just watch that person. And every time something happens, I would just go, yep. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, That's exactly, you saw uh-huh. exactly
2: what you think you just saw.
0: Yep. Yep. That's a thing. There you go. Enjoy it. it that's is. how you I feel. That's it. how I feel about showing people the holy mountain for the first time. Just yeah. want to watch them instead of the movie and be like, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. That's birds flying out of the gunshot wound. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. I mean, yeah, that's how it
1: goes. I mean, I do think this is the first time this film has been compared to The Holy Mountain or anything else of that ilk before. But I think you're still right that this is and. Uh, what I like, and this is something Josh knows about me, uh, but let me fill you in on this, Robert. What I like about this movie is that it's satisfying on multiple levels. It is a completely satisfying, in my mind, action film for all the things I'm looking for on a, on multiple levels, because uh, especially in American action, like... One of my criticisms of the Fast and Furious movies is uh, not all the fighting is exciting, partly because of the age of some of the people involved. And uh, while the explosions and car chases are great, when people try to fight each other, sometimes it's great and sometimes it's not. This movie is like, yeah, we've got car chases. We've got explosions. We've got all kinds of machine guns. But when these people throw down, it's like actually interesting to watch, you know, it's like straight up martial arts, like straight it, up insanity. John Wick. Yeah. 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 100%. And so all of that is totally satisfying.
2: So I have a question for you about that. Go ahead. Um, so I, because I noticed that too, and it's interesting that you bring up fast and furious because that's another franchise. I'm you know I'm a big fan of it, but I think you're right. And one of the movies that I saw most recently before rewatching war to talk to you about it is that, okay. So I watched bloodshot and in bloodshot,
0: there's not my favorite.
2: There's no stakes because nothing. Vin Diesel is immortal, indestructible, completely just omnipotent. He can't, be harmed. He can't be hurt, and so there's no stakes. You know that he's going to come out of it because you never see that character in any situation where he's vulnerable. And I right. think what's interesting to me about war is that both Khalid and Kabir um, are characters who are vulnerable. You see them. You know the the introduction of Khalid Tiger Shroff gets beat up. And maybe he's faking, maybe he's not. You don't know at that point, but he takes punches. He gets hurt. Um, and, you know, Hrithik Roshan does the same thing. He, he allows his character, you know, it's not like where Vin Diesel is negotiating with Jason Statham how many punches they can take and how sure. many times yeah. they can fall down. And so I think that vulnerability that the characters are, you know, the the vulnerability that the characters show allows the stakes to be heightened because it's known, even though they can get punched through a solid concrete column and still shake it off and walk around the next day, there's still enough vulnerability that there are stakes to this.
0: I mean, dude, they, you meet Tiger Shroff's mom. What? Like, hold, hold the phone. There's a whole sequence when the mom comes to the base to give him food. Yep. yep. Oh, my God. Dude, that was like a huge kick in the dick for me. It was like, oh man, what's mom doing here? You know what I mean? Like Yeah. yeah. It, this movie is definitely rooted in the in the vulnerabilities of both of these characters. I
1: okay, and, I I do want to I do want to say I think that is slightly different though for Kabir than it is for Khalid. In that um I think uh Kabir is a lot more badass he does have some vulnerability he's not doing the vin diesel thing but he's a lot more badass overall and the only reason that matters to me is this movie does one thing so i have a number of criticisms of the movie i was just going to go wild about how much i loved it before i brought any criticisms one the only real criticism i have that isn't ideological is that this movie does something that the mission impossible movies do that a lot of these movies do which is Establish the strength of our main character, but then at key moments when we need him to, he's slightly less badass. And the reason I feel that way is that, um, so this the movie works as an action movie and it's great. The movie also, for me, works in some ways as a spy movie, not as good as some other spy movies, but it has some amazing double crosses. And the Khalid is actually some other motherfucker double cross. I didn't see that coming. Did anyone see that coming? No, was anyone absolutely not. That? No, no. 100% so, no idea that was coming. But this is my issue, right? I get that it's a two-and-a-half-hour movie. It has dance sequences. You can't really put anything more into the film. But when I was meant to believe that Khalid is not quite, but is approaching the equal of, of, of Kabir, then that makes sense for me. But when it's revealed that actually Khalid is some other jag-off that you've never seen do anything cool but you're supposed to believe is pretty equal with Kabir, I started to go, ah, oh, we're doing that thing where no matter what's happened before now, the end guy has to be tough. The most classic example of this is uh, the mission impossible. Uh, which one is it? The one that ends in the fight in the parking garage and a dude in a white suit who formerly hasn't fought anyone. As far as we know, it just looks like a schlub is like fighting Tom Cruise and like doing okay. And I'm like, uh yeah. That doesn't fucking work. Like this guy isn't he hasn't done anything. In the same way, like Khalid, we've seen him excel and learn and so it's like the, the student challenging the master. This other Cherkov, I guess he's cool, but I don't know if he's cool or not. Like I think a few scenes earlier on establishing that this dude is also a badass would then carry more menace when it's like, oh, that's who is actually Khalid now my man's in for a fight but when it was revealed who he was i thought well then he's gonna win because this dude's just some jerk off i don't care about him yeah. you know what i mean
0: and so, also it's like he's like the second in command underneath the liasa so if he really was that much of a badass don't you think he'd be like the leader like uh right I mean, okay okay that's an industry like that's a thing that like as i was watching i'm like man so is this guy just a naturally good fighter but i mean i guess uh, he's
2: i don't know Narratively, it also does this thing that a lot of and and obviously for technical limitations, but narratively it does the thing where when you swap faces, you also swap the whole body,
0: right? Because, yeah,
2: because yeah. Uh, what, was, what was that guy's name? Surab, I think. Yeah, um, yeah, was a guy. So he physically and he, you, we never saw him shirtless, but um, I can only imagine that he didn't have nine abs. Right, right, You know, and so, but, but he, it's, it wasn't just a face off. It was, it was basically a brain transplant.
0: Right. Yeah. And the best is that the, uh, the doctor talks about changing his vocal cords so that they sound the same. What are you talking about lady in a dress? Well, okay. So that brings me back to my praise
1: for the movie because I love the action stuff, I love the spy stuff, I also like the like weird sci-fi of it all. Like it really is kind of like Face Off in a way, in a a weird, unexpected way that doesn't make any sense at all, but kind of makes sense. You know what I mean? Like I don't know, I kind of was like ready to go with it. You know, like I love that part of it. Um, And I and the other thing I want us to make sure we mention that I think is a plus of the film is how um, unintentionally homoerotic the entire film is. And the reason I bring that up is, like, it's so rare to find a movie that is good at what it's supposed to be good at that also has a weird layer where you're kind of laughing along with it because, um, you know, it's not particularly uh, uh, welcome right now in uh, the you know in india to uh be lgbtq that's still a contested identity so to make this uber masculine film that actually feels like these two men are like in love with each other in such like a weird way or at least in lust with each other was like very satisfying for me and actually like it made the dance sequences that much more sexy like you, you know like <laughs> just straight up like wow these dudes are gonna go at it hard and i am so about it yeah yeah
2: I think the the motorcycle chase is probably the the most glaring example of what you just said in Portugal, where they ride at each other full Uh, speed on motorcycles and grab each other's hands. And the force of their grip is such that they just spin around each other on these motorcycles, looking deeply and longingly into each other's eyes. And it's slowed down, slow motion. And it has that noise that happens basically... Every ten minutes in this movie, it goes. Boom. Yeah, just <laughs> yes. that really deep bass drop.
0: <laughs>
2: there, that happens so many times in this movie, and you definitely get one on that Portugal motorcycle chase.
0: Allow, allow me to tell you guys a little story. Let me take you back to two thousand eight and a little movie called Jumper, starring Hayden Christensen and Mr. Samuel Jackson. Do you remember this movie, guys? You guys, oh yes. Oh, terrible movie. Right. So when we saw it, it was me and Melani and friend of the show, Evo Tomas and my old friend Freddie. And uh, at the time, uh, Freddie just likes talking during movies. He's like one of those dudes. And it was was a lot. But he was sitting next to Melani. So me and Evo were just watching the movie and he talked Melani's ear off during the whole movie. And his narrative of the movie that he was watching was that Samuel Jackson was the angry black dad, and he was disappointed in his white son Hayden Christensen, and that's why he's chasing him. (laughs) So, like, I had the very same thought while I was watching this movie. Like, yo, I get that this movie is like this sci-fi pseudo like spy epic, whatever, whatever. But I also think it's a beautiful love story again between two well-muscled hairdressers. And, like, all I could think of was the fucking jumper experience of Freddie being like, nah, dog, Black Dad is so mad at White Sun right now. He's just so <laughs> fucking angry. And that's why he's chasing him to Rome. <laughs> so, this movie definitely is a multi layered experience for me. Like, on one hand, it's that. But then on the other hand, I just hear Freddie talking in Milani's ear, just being like, dog, Black Dad is so mad. <laughs> I was like, yeah, these guys are going to do it and that's going to be totally sexy. That's what's about to happen in this movie. Let's get it on.
2: But there was a lot of there was a lot of surrogate fatherhood in the oh, yes, especially in yes. the in the part that um during that 40-minute flashback at the beginning. But <laughs> Oh my um,
0: god, yeah.
2: <laughs> but, you know, the, because he talks about how, you know, I killed your father because your father was a traitor. And in a lot of ways that was I I took, I I supplanted him. I took the place of your father because now you're seeking my approval. You're trying to be a part of my family, of my team, because I got rid of your father because he was bad and I am good and (sighs) I am here. And so there was this really sort of forced surrogacy of that, that father son dynamic as well. And it, I thought there's no way these two men can be of the age where, because in the flashback within a flashback where we talk about how Khalid lost the sight in his right eye, I looked up their ages. And so Tiger Shroff is 30 and Hrithik Roshan is 46. <laughs> so Hrithik Roshan, if, if Tiger Shroff was 10 in that flashback, which it appeared that his character would, then Kabir would have been around 26. So it kind of lines up. You you could be a soldier. I don't know how f- high into the ranks of the special forces you could have ascended by the age of 26, where you're charged with the assassination of traitors, but it could have worked almost, you know, if, if, if. Khalid was 10 and Kabir was 26, 27 years old. So sure. I didn't believe it at first because these men are so beautiful and ageless. Right.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, when you said 46 just now, I was like, holy fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus okay. Christ. Okay. Okay. So, uh, Robert gave us this great synopsis, but he glossed certain things, so it's important for us to to, to uh, say, in case anyone's listening, I'm assuming most people who are listening have seen the movie, but in case you haven't, let's make it clear what we're talking about here. Um, we're presented with the idea that Kabir is a traitor, then uh, there's flashbacks to show how he developed this relationship with Khalid, who's now uh, the character that we're seeing is pursuing him and trying to figure out what he's doing. And... Um, uh they have a mission where they go to get Ilyasa. Is that his name, Ilyasa? Yeah, is that Ilyasa it? Oh yeah, is like Rizwan Ilyasi. Yeah, yeah, Ilyasi. yeah, Ilyasi. So um, they go to get him, and then we don't see how all of that plays out per se, but he gets away. Then we see another mission where uh, Kabir is using a civilian asset to try to get uh, Ilyasi's accountant. It is revealed that The accountant is actually Ilyasi, and he's had his face changed. The civilian asset dies. She has a daughter. Suddenly, Kabir is the daughter's surrogate father, which is just one of a few weird issues that we're going to address in a (laughs) few minutes here. Um, And then we come back to the real world. and, and, And from that interaction, you realize, and this is probably always true if you're really feeling the character, is that Kabir is actually finds out that that Ilyasi has moles in the organization in the Indian military and government so that's who he's assassinating and he doesn't want to come back for that um and then there's sort of a revealing moment where Khalid would rather know who the next target is than the motive um anyways over time they get in a situation where uh uh Khalid finally figures out where Kabir is and 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 Kabir kind of reveals why he's doing things. But importantly, Josh just mentioned, or Robert mentioned, I think Robert mentioned, that uh, Khalid has a blindness in his right eye. He immediately turns to the right and shoots someone. If you're paying attention, you're thinking, that's weird. Why did that just happen? And then bada bing, bada boom. It turns out he's actually the the traitor, the pawn traitor. He's just gone through the same surgery to look like Khalid. And then right at the point where... That's all sort of going to result in in him in uh in Kabir being killed. It turns out Kabir knew it because of him turning right, and he actually took the fucking antidote for the thing. And (laughs) now they're they're trying to kill each other on the ice because his
2: teammate gave it to him at her wedding. At her
1: wedding. Oh my god! (laughs) It's so good. And then after this ridiculous fight on the ice that ends in them fighting in a quote unquote church, though uh it's really weird because there's no Christian imagery in the church. There's just stained glass. And Stain glass. no, it's dirty. just a
0: big stained glass,
2: colorful just stained stained glass, glass. Yeah. Old,
0: old stone building.
2: It's <laughs> the only church in the world without a cross or a crucifix right. or right. any right. sort of iconography at all.
1: They did, according to the thing, film it in Finland though. So maybe that's a Finland thing. I don't know. But, uh, Anyways, uh, and then after he defeats fake Khalid and kills Ilyasi, he decides he's not returning to legitimate service. He's going to continue to be a rogue agent so that he can get in with all these criminal types, while also, by the way, being the surrogate father of an innocent young girl, which seems very problematic. Uh, also, side note, uh, it's revealed that Khalid actually died a hero for the country, which makes him one of the good ones. And the f- film makes sure you know that the government acknowledges him as one of the few good Muslims, which is yeah. part of the problem with the whole fucking movie. And that's the thing about this movie. I read a review by an a Indian critic who said... This movie's great. It's exciting and sexy. And if you like beautiful men, then you will like this movie because they're beautiful and they dance and they shoot each other and they fight and everything is great about this movie. Oh, except for the creepy politics that are totally creepy. So hopefully (laughs) they'll make this movie again only with less creepy politics. And her whole thing was like, at a time when it's legitimately dangerous in the country to be a Muslim, when there are anti-Muslim programs all over the place to make a film that is like, Yeah, this guy died for his country, so he's like good, is actually not as helpful as you may think it is. That I'm sure the people who made this movie are like, Look, he's like one of the heroes of the movie, and and he's Muslim, so like we're inclusive. Is like, mm, you actually create this narrative, especially when in the film. So, uh, we we mentioned this character of Ilyasi, he's like this. Classic Bond character, right? He's like a rich asshole who's like trying to bring about chaos. Long hair. Long hair. Yeah.
2: He looks like he should be playing bass for Yola Tango. Agreed. (laughs) Yes, agreed. Yes. He does.
1: But in the movie they keep referring to the enemy. He's working for the enemy. Various people are working for the enemy, you know, whatever. And because of who we are, it'd be easy to think of those as terrorist organizations. And they do mention some terrorist organizations like ISIS and Al Qaeda. But the enemy is Pakistan, guys. It's not a nebulous dark force. It's not like in the Bond films where it's like, you know, some guy in a the chair Shadow thing. A cat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's literally Pakistan. And the big reveal is that the what the what this mastermind is trying to do is shut down the Satellites over the contested territory between India and Pakistan so that Pakistan can invade India. That's actually the, the nefarious plan. Now, think about this in a in a type of film where nefarious plans can usually be things like lasers pointed at the earth. This mastermind criminal just wants to shut the satellites off so Pakistan can invade, by the way, into the contested territory where India has already been doing a bunch of stuff they're not supposed to do to hurt Muslims. So, again, I think this movie is trying to be very open-minded and liberal. I think that's actually the point of it. But, oh, man, was the nationalism on display in this film a real yeah. jagged pill for me to swallow?
0: And it ends up being weirdly jingoistic and just like, ugh, just... Uh, it it reminded me of, uh, what was that machine gun preacher movie or, uh, like one of those like weird, like Americana, like what was the other one? Uh, 12 strong, like move, like these kinds of like, Oh, well, you know, it's a thing. Like that's what (laughs) like the, the, the Indian component of that would be.
2: I've been watching, um, for a while uh, every now and then uh, as many as I can find of Soviet era fantastica films like children's films that are sort of, you know, fantasy fairy tale. And it's interesting because there's a strong undercurrent of nationalism in those movies as well, where the hero, it talks about mother Russia and how beautiful mother Russia is and how he would, he would rather die for his motherland than live a day you know, as a subject to a a foreign king. And and that's definitely a theme that you see here, even though the regime nominally under which it was made is, is less repressive, is that idea of, Nationalism being so pervasive in every aspect of what the heroes do, because you you see these government officials that are doing their their tasks, not because it's a job, but because it satisfies this sense of nationalist pride or this this nationalist impulse that really drives the action. Even though you don't find out about it until you know later on in the film, there's this real push of nationalism, and and that in the very very few other Indian action films that I've watched is also a theme that keeps popping back up. Is this nationalist sort of push of the heroes of the of the plot of the of the events in the movie? This this nationalist motivation, and it's um, it's a lot like you know it's a lot like action films in in the Reagan era in America which is right. something that you know obviously I've seen a lot of those and so it's easy to draw that line and that's why I think it's interesting not just exciting but also interesting politically that Siddhartha and Tiger Shroff are currently making a Rambo movie
0: oh yeah because oh my god it's majestic you know
2: the 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 Reagan the, the Ronald Reagan nationalism in those Rambo films, even the ones after Reagan's death, is is a very strong driving part of those movies. I mean I think you could argue maybe maybe not so much first blood, but but from you know once the roller coaster crested that hill, it's all full bore. And yeah. so I I I'm interested to see how the politics play out in I'm also interested to see more of Tiger Shroff without a shirt on. Yeah, 100%. (laughs) But but I'm also interested to see politically how that plays out with with the two of them working together again on Rambo. Wow.
1: I mean, I don't want to make too much hay out of this because um, even though it was present from the beginning of the movie, it's like in your face, um, I would be making too much of myself if I said, and therefore it made the movie just unwatchable and I didn't enjoy it. Fuck no, man. I had a lot of fun watching this movie. It's really exciting. It's really whatever, you know, it's, but you got to know watching. I mean, my worry is that you would watch it and be so distracted either by the excitement of it all, by the audacity of it all, or even by the like unintentional homoeroticism of it all. (laughs) You would miss that. There's also something kind of like a teeny bit insidious about the movie. And um, I think that's okay. Like, I think that's uh, that's something that doesn't mean you shouldn't watch a movie or anything crazy like that. But I do think, like, man, it, if it if it weren't for that aspect, would this be a perfect movie? Or does the movie reach those heights partly because it's coming from such a place of like intense nationalism and intense? Ma- I mean, I kind of think in its effort to be so uber masculine is how it's sort of spilling into this fun, like unintentional subtext of these men being so sexy for each other is like because it is trying so hard to make them into these magic supermen in
0: a way. I don't know. Mm. Yeah. Sounds about yeah, right. I guess so.
2: Me, I mean, it is definitely, you know, because just like Rambo was sort of the, the single person embodiment of American military power. It's almost like, well, Look how powerful India is because we right. have people like Khalid and Kabir. You know, this these our national impulses and values are, are personified in Khalid and Kabir, and um, and it's well, and it plays into such a fantasy too, like
1: that that uh, that India is as active on the world stage as the all these American films make us out to be when. I don't really think there are Indian death squads out there. I mean, let's be clear. This dude is not shooting people in India. The idea is that India has this heroic military captain who goes to other countries to sh- to shoot people. It's not to arrest them and bring them to trial. <laughs> he just murders people. And, again, the, the film really goes out of its way to make sure you know that these people are traitors which is yeah that they're
0: enemies of india yeah
1: well and that this is a mixed story right like so um in the in the narrative of india and 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 not just india this is true in pakistan too but in the narrative of these places there's this intense split where there isn't an intense split right like when um when i was working at lafayette we did an event where we were showing a bollywood film and it was organized by the east asian student union right and uh um uh, a few different people were involved in it but one of the people who organized it and picked out the food was Pakistani and she chose this movie this Indian movie because it is one of the films that's about this tense relationship between Hindus and Muslims but it kind of romanticizes it and whatever whatever uh, but I remember thinking like oh I wonder what sort of food she's gonna do whatever whatever and of course a lot of the food was not that different than anywhere else it was it was you know, basically Indian food with slightly different spices on certain things. And one of the Indian students was like utterly amazed that she chose this food. And she's like, you are aware that my great grandparents were Indian, right? Like, yes, my parents are Pakistani. My grandparents are Pakistani, but my great grandparents, they lived in India. This is not that long a history. You know what I mean? Like, and so this idea is so interesting to me that on one hand, Pakistan is separate from India. On the other hand, all these people who work for Pakistan are traitors. Is like, well, I guess some of them are traitors, but some of them, I mean, if you're living in Italy and you, wouldn't they more be a foreign agent like no one has ever called a foreign agent no one has ever called a spy everyone he kills is at least in the english translation called a traitor and i'm like aren't some of these people not traitors aren't some of these people just like (laughs) spies who work for a different country or terrorists like i don't understand understand this this idea
2: some of them are drug dealers (laughs) <laughs> That's also true. Some of the, drug dealers. The, 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 the fight scene that introduces Khalid, he's taking out a drug dealer and takes a phone call from his commanding officer while he's drowning a man. That's true. And, <laughs> says, and, and says, in fact, they've decided to cease their drug trade altogether or, well, or something to that effect. That part was
1: interesting because, A, it was the most sort of diverse, like, that gang was very diverse, I guess, because they're drug dealers, so they it's all kinds of people were there. But, B, the idea was that he was taking out people who were importing drugs into India, and I was like, I wonder what they were importing that you couldn't just get on your own. Like, who well, what were they doing? I guess And they cocaine. weren't
2: in India. Like, he went no. to their yeah, house. To get- yeah, Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, and he jumped in a pool with white pants on. Just saying. Doesn't seem like a smart idea. <laughs> no,
2: it really wasn't. But what It was does play do?
0: into the homoerotic narrative, though, that I yes. was. Yeah, that's the thing there, too. But man, that scene, dude, the pool, <laughs> he's drowning the guy. He pulls oh my a phone gosh. out of his back pocket. What? That was just
2: underwater. I don't know what kind of phone he has that can be underwater for as long as that phone was while he was karate chopping people.
0: <laughs> karate chopping, and dude. He was throat chopping people in this sequence. this really oh just... Oh, my and God. And he slam dunked a light fixture on that one dude's head. <laughs> that is so good. But he I
2: do like that in that scene, scene,
1: he's kicking ass, but like you pointed out, Robert, but he's not immortal. He takes some hits. Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah. There's, he gets thrown there's over the bar. Cool.
2: And the way... The, the way that whole scene was shot to make it look like it was one continuous shot, right. I thought was something that, you know, because you can see the edits. There's a lot of CGI in there, uh, but it was really well done. And it, the way it was filmed was so kinetic that, you know, it's easy to turn your brain off and I, I, mean, oh, yeah. I feel terrible saying, say, but it's easy to turn your brain off and not worry about global politics and you know the 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 sort of weird insidious stuff that's there and just watch this this fight scene that's so amazingly put together just the right. way the action was photographed in this was spectacular
0: and it's just so beautifully choreographed
1: and i kind of want to encourage people to do exactly that i mean not to necessarily turn your brain off but just accept that if you have the idea of the political situation and and honestly one of the more to t- tendentious borders and problematic areas in the country is Pakistan and India or in the world rather is Pakistan and India. And so like, I get it. Like you're probably going to watch this. If you know anything about that, a little concerned with some of the politics of it, but You know, that's true in any action. I mean, the idea that American action movies aren't also dripping with politics and chauvinism and coxsmanship is ridiculous. It's just something we tell ourselves like, well, this is just fun and it doesn't connect to that at all. And that's not true. And so like in this one, I was struck by it because um, only we have... We have slightly different issues that animate our movies, so uh, you know I I was I was able to notice it. But you know the reality is you're already down with that, so I wouldn't worry about it too much. It's just good to be aware of and to know that that's partly why some of the story is being told the way it is. But goddamn, it's a a two and a half hour movie that has dance sequences. I feel like should hit tedious at some time. You know what I mean? Like that there should be a squishy spot. And my experience was that there was nothing. There was no part where I wasn't interested in what was happening.
0: Yeah, there's no part that lulled for me in this movie.
2: I have long been a champion of the fact that there's no excuse for any film to have a three-digit runtime. Any film that's longer than 99 minutes can have something cut to bring it under that. But this, I mean, out of the whole two and a half hours, maybe, maybe you could lose 30 minutes. But even that. I don't know what those 30 minutes would be. And so, I have to
1: tell this full story. In fact, I, my one major, I mean, there's a lot of things that are ridiculous, like, but the, all the things that I think are kind of too far or stupid are made better with more movie. Like, why is this guy so tough? One scene of him being tough would be helpful. How does this little girl suddenly love him? Like she just yeah. loves him. Does he show up and go, "I got your mom killed, but I'm your dad now. It's cool. <laughs>
2: Remember how the whole movie became a Christmas movie for about yeah minutes?
0: What was that about? Holy shit. Yeah, pretty exciting. <laughs> also
1: it's that that also thinking about some of those scenes, it does get a little weird to be like, man that other guy was really good at being Khalid. Like, I really thought that was Khalid. Like, (laughs) There's no suggestion that he's not Khalid in any of those scenes, as far as I can tell.
2: The actual timeline is so hard for me to figure out. Like I even taking notes, watching it was thinking, okay, so on the subway, was that Khalid or was that the other guy? Like, was that
1: 100% when they go and they take out the big dude, Right. Uh-huh. that is the oh that scene the, so the so the drug deal scene and the scene where they take out the big dude um, and then the scene where they go to get ilyasi and he chases after the little dude those are the only things actual Khalid does. Everything else in the movie is fake Khalid and that's like such a mind-blowing thing because I was like wow fake Khalid is so good at being real Khalid like <laughs> like the only thing he does until the big reveal that is not Khalid is turn right. Like, that's yeah, it. And when he does it. it, I immediately went, oh, that fucker turned right. They, they w- What happened? Did he get better? What's going on? I didn't, granted, during that scene, did I think, oh, it's another guy with his face? No, I did not think that. But I did think, that's weird that he turned right. But that's it. That was the only thing that whole time. It was crazy.
2: Yeah, just maybe he's working for some something else. So the the um the fight between Kabir and the guy named Bashir Hasib was the character's name in Tikrit. That is the part that I was talking about, where they shoehorn this weird comedic element into it. Right there, yeah. where they're sort of looking at each other, trying to figure out who's going to fight this big guy. Yeah, and um, that guy, and and that actor's name is um, Ravi Awang, His eyes are so obviously CGI bright blue in that right. scene, but with the with the face makeup that he's with the the heavy eyeliner and just the way it's such an amazingly filmed scene. Like just the way he looks, he's filmed from the ground up to make him seem like he's a literal giant. And he's, his hair's pulled back into that bun and he's so muscled up and just in the middle of that bombed out complex, just the way that looks on the screen. I don't, I'm not even a guy who goes nuts for cinematography, but just like that as an image is amazing to me.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Here's my and, question, though. Where was that
1: supposed to take place?
2: Okay, so that was in Tikrit. Where's Tikrit? I'm a geographical dumbo. That Because there was... And it was really... What's weird is the the one that said um, Arctic Circle got a lot more screen time. So, sorry, Tikrit's in Iraq, but... There was a caption, but it was right before the scene where they're about to stone the woman who's an adulterer, right, right, right. and uh, right, right, he, right. he pulls a gun out and shoots the guy. So right before we get to that scene, there's an aerial shot, and it says, Tikrit, Iraq, but it's real quick, and so it's the not reason, on the screen.
1: I, the reason I got confused is because of that dude's CGI blue eyes, because that is an Afghanistan thing. Like, like, there is a whole thing about uh, all these Afghani tribes that have these intense blue eyes. And so when I saw his eyes, which don't look real, that have to be CGI, I was like, are we in Afghanistan? I'm so confused right now. Like, what is going on with this character? Like, where are we supposed to be? I, I the whole That whole sequence, I was still... And, and I was also confused I'm like, who is this guy? Like, I don't really understand what's happening. <laughs>
2: yeah, and I mean, if you look at... Um, because... Guys, I, I'm just, I'm just gonna come clean. I'm I'm following all these dudes on Instagram. Of course, <laughs> yeah, of course yeah. if if you look at Ravi Awana, like a picture of him, he's a beautiful man. He does not have piercing blue eyes. He has <laughs> the 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 color eyes you would expect an Indian man to have. Um, but again, the abs. <laughs>
1: Wow. I mean, all of these dudes are in shape. Like let's just be clear but
2: except yeah, for they
1: could, whatever Freakazoid was Iliasi, that dude just looks like a
2: monster. Oh, the Yola Tenga
0: guy. Yeah, yeah he just looks like remember I mean, the cure out of makeup.
2: I also <laughs> I also
1: found myself wondering about like um, except for the I don't know who is it? The lieutenant colonel or whoever's who's the guy who's in charge like behind the scenes.
0: With the scar
1: on his face, this is the, the big colonel. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Oh yeah. yeah, he has a scar over his eye, so that's how you know he's evil. Mm.
1: But he's not evil, though. He turns out to be but, fine.
2: Yeah, it's a misdirection. It's like a red they, herring. They think he's the chess piece or whatever. So I think that's why they gave him that scar. Because my, my, in movies, anybody who has a scar over their eye, right, right, is right. evil at least, but usually a Nazi. Like that's <laughs> that's yeah, like fair. a real Nazi thing to have a scar I, over your eye.
1: I just couldn't help but wonder a little bit in the film about like um, how much like colorism was at play in the sense of like. Everyone, that dude is like the darkest dude in the movie. Like no one. So that's
2: something, yeah, that's something my wife brought up actually as we were watching. She just watched, she was in and out, but she's like, why is everyone in this film so light? And there is something that, uh, I'm a white guy born in Washington, Georgia. I am not going to step into this pool, but there is a history of colorism as a real thing in india and it's something that you know a lot of activists are working against and there's articles about it and and indian not just this movie but indian film in general is and probably rightly so criticized for perpetuating this idea of colorism where the the heroes are lighter skinned than the villains and it mirrors this thing in society where the lighter the skin the more desirable or, or beautiful you are regardless of gender. And so that is a real thing. It's also a real thing that I'm not the guy who should be talking about it. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I'll it's,
1: go ahead and say that's a universal, my man. Like that's not like, it, you know, any country that, uh that has people of varying colors. It, it's the reality that, that, darker skin is very rarely the the more valued hue uh and i know like within you know i the part of the reason i was sensitive to it is having watched a lot of you know latinx stuff there's this question i mean i, I don't know if you guys have ever watched mexican tv before but you would think that uh you think that just based off like univision that mexico was mostly white people you know what i mean like everyone <laughs> is like blonde haired stuff and you're like well that's weird where's all the indigenous folks or where's all the you know darker folks um, so, but it's just something I noticed, like, uh, you know, people in this movie tended to not be that dark. And, and I was actually kind of impressed though, that the main villain actually was, uh, also kind of light. I was like, Oh, I was expecting him to be particularly dark or something like that. That So it's not quite that bad, but it is true that, uh, there's not a lot of dark skin folks in this movie at all. That, yeah. Even, even in the crowds, you know, I was like, Oh, there's gotta be somebody like on the street or something, but no, not, not really that much. <laughs> Well, I you know I don't know how much more there is to say. I think oh, there is so much more. I there mean, is there is so actually. much more. There's just, a lot,
2: especially uh, uh, the one thing that I I think I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up is that f- through this film we find out that uh, Indians nuclear uh, vessels the the ships that carry the the nuclear warheads for right. India also have luxury cars uh, <laughs> in the hold. So that it's, if it, you need to drive across an ice sheet, there's a high-powered Audi in the hole, just kind of waiting for you to jump in. I, I think mean, it's
1: it's more like the movie's so long; it's hard to figure out which. Like, okay, we've highlighted how weird the Christmas part is. We've talked about how great the first dance is, but I, I think all the dance sequences are pretty great. Uh, the luxury car thing that the. When we're driving across the ice in the luxury cars, the obvious choice is, let's just spin these cars and shoot at each other. That's obviously how we're going to do this thing, so that they're both just spinning and shooting and spinning and shooting.
2: Crazy. (laughs) It's crazy pants. Um, We didn't even talk about the the gunfight in the house where Khalid and Kabir, or maybe it's not Khalid. You don't know.
0: Where the gotcha gotcha happens. It's not Khalid.
2: The way... Right, and that's where they find that out. But the way that's choreographed is unbelievable. Essentially, another dance scene. I mean, yeah, the, the two of them it really is beautiful.
1: He jumps off of uh, Kabir jumps off of Khalid's back onto the second floor of a house. Not possible, but <laughs> lands magically, perfectly in a way where he can shoot everyone who's coming through the windows. It is majestic. I mean, most of what this guy does when at the end when he's talking to the colonel. And just, like, interacting with his, not his daughter, even that's <laughs> majestic. Everything this man does is majestic. I, I, I mean, I guess the scene where he's being taken to task by his civilian asset for basically putting her life in danger without much care for her daughter, well, I guess he will eventually care for her. But in the moment he does it, that's one of the few scenes where you're like, oh, this isn't so
2: majestic, actually. <laughs> this I is also actually pretty that, terrible. <laughs> I also think that the hat he wears... Oh, when, God. We, when we first Dude. see him in Italy. That that was kind of a bad choice. I yes. don't know, man. It said 1990s like
0: Scott to me, and I was all about it. I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, pick it up, homeboy. You sexy oh. beast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, was I mean,
1: I, I will say we can Referring to these gentlemen as fashionable, but a few of their fashions are, are a little bit more um, Miami Beach than Milan. You know, like yeah. some of the things that he wears, you're, you're like, ooh, are you on the Jersey Shore or yeah. are you
0: a rich person? Because you're walking a line, buddy. <laughs> it's so good, though. It's so, so good. So good. My goodness. Yeah. I don't know if you know, Robert. I have a Fast and the Furious tattoo. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a thing, and uh, this movie scratched all of those itches for me. Sure, and I, I think it's
1: I think it's better in some ways.
0: I would I would even I would give you that. As much as I love the franchise, as much as I'm a fan of the thing, uh, yeah, there's certain parts of this that that handle things better than the Fast and the Furious franchise has. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. But um, man, overall, I definitely think this movie is one of the highlights of the stuff that we've watched for this show so far.
1: Oh yes. Oh, yes. Uh, one more thing I also want to mention before we go uh, the actor who plays Kabir has two thumbs. Oh, yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That happened in the movie, too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. As- and I think that that sort of sets him up. Like, how many other international sex symbols are there who have something like two thumbs? Like, are there that many? I, don't, I can't, I couldn't think of a single other person who had something identifiable like that.
2: It should be noted that he has three thumbs. He has oh, right. Two, he has two thumbs he has on one two own, hand. Because right, like right. most people have two thumbs. That's fair. Yeah, no, 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 you're real smart, Robert. That's real good. <laughs> right,
1: <yeah. laughs> well, no, I just didn't want it. I didn't want it to He has two thumbs yeah. on one hand, is what I meant to say.
0: You didn't want to make it sound like all of us in this conversation now just have one I've thumb. I've just got the one thumb. <laughs> right, because I'm
2: looking at my two thumbs going, wait a minute. What's wrong with me?
0: <laughs> just got um, the
2: one. <laughs> <laughs> you only need the one.
0: Dude, I'm saying, though, when that shit happens, I was like, wait a minute. There's something wrong with the camera, right? Like, this is a trick? But nah, my man has two thumbs coming out of one thumb hole.
2: I did yeah. not notice that the first time I watched this movie. I did. The second time I watched it, I was like, wait a minute. What? Is that a CGI thing? Like, <laughs> did, did somebody mess up? But um, And so I had to sort of pause it. But the first time, I was so wrapped up in everything that was going on that I didn't even notice that I mean, uh
0: yeah no i agree, yeah how could you not be how could you not be is my question that the movie is it's commanding at the very least of, of all the adjectives i could think to describe this movie commanding is definitely in the top 10 at it's least. so
2: commanding that that one of the main actors has two thumbs on his right hand and you don't even <laughs> notice it
0: <laughs> what the shit oh my goodness what a time
1: <laughs> I just I you know I, I'm not I'm not trying to make it out like he's accomplished great he's overcome great thing just because he has an extra thumb like I'm not saying like obviously his experience is not as hard as it, as it could be but I do think it's interesting that he that his primary mode is I'm hot you know what I mean he's not just like I'm a compelling actor who does character bits my man is a straight up international sex symbol who is like i i'm tough and i'm hot also i have an extra thumb i just think that's interesting i think it like <laughs> adds to the mystique of the film for me that like he's able to do that because i don't i can't think of a lot of people who their whole vibe is just i'm hot who also have something that is <laughs> that unusual you know what it, does that
0: make sense yeah no it makes perfect sense i get it i guess yeah it. i think
2: it's i think it's beyond Tom Cruise's weird asymmetrical teeth, like right. because yeah. that you can
0: kind of gloss over, but yeah,
2: yeah that's definitely three thumbs,
1: yeah. And it doesn't seem like he cares. He wasn't like, Yo, you got to CGI out my other thumb, it's really <laughs> no, important that you there's
2: because, because when I finally noticed it on my second viewing of the movie, I if you Google his name, thumb auto completes comes up so there is <laughs>
1: <laughs> apparently apparently in uh certain parts of india it's it's actually considered good luck it's like a lucky thing so i you know i you know i guess he's not facing that much discrimination for it but i don't know i still think there probably are some people who don't think it's that cool
0: or yeah. at least they don't expect that he's gonna spring it on somebody like wait hold on. you know what i mean like <laughs> i'm just saying man i'm just saying <laughs> Like, you know, warn somebody. But, again, <laughs> I, I, it's cool. I'm not mad at I it. I do have a friend that has six fingers on each hand. And uh, I spent a lot of time in our friendship trying to convince him to get knuckle tattoos on the basis that he can get something that nobody will be able to get except for him. I'm like, yo, dude, you should. Fit, yeah, right? he
2: could do ten letters. It's
0: so good, right? And he, he is stalwart in denying me this. So I'm okay with it. I mean, it's not my body. I'm just saying. It is what it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a thing you should look into if you can. Just saying.
1: So, um, you know, just out of interest of time, we should probably wrap up, but I want to wrap up by saying, Robert, thank you for bringing this movie into our lives.
0: Yes, dude, and thank you for being our friend. This has been a a fun conversation.
2: I'm so glad I did.
0: I really hope that you come back to be a guest again on our show.
2: I can't wait for it. It was so good. (laughs) I'm so glad we
1: watched it, and I'm so glad we got to talk about it. And again, like I said, guys, like, don't Don't be bummed out uh, on some of the negative aspects. This is totally worth your time to watch. Uh, Do I hope that the next one leaves the issue of uh, Muslims in India alone? Yeah, I'd like that. I'd like that not to be part of the conversation. (laughs) But but am I going to watch it
0: either way? I am. I'm going to watch it. (laughs) 100% going to watch it. Yep.
2: Well, the next one's Rambo, so
0: it won't be. Oh, my God, dude. I cannot wait. That's a thing. That I am now hyped on.
1: Oh, that's going to be such a problem.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. I cannot <laughs> wait. I don't know what's going to happen. Whoa. Wow. Man, what a time. What a time to be alive.
1: <laughs> well, uh, Robert, thank you for joining us. If people, I mean, do you have a thing you want to plug? Should people follow you? What, what, are, you, what, what are you feeling?
2: Uh, atomic underscore elbow on Twitter, and then everything will just branch out from there. I appreciate um, that, yeah. I, I work from home, so I'm on Twitter a lot. <laughs> I know that vibe very little <laughs> wrestling content in there y'all gotta pay for that <laughs>
1: <laughs> I appreciate that as well <laughs> uh, so we we want to thank you guys for listening for checking us out uh, remind you to check out cinepunks.com for all of our various podcasts uh, and check us out on social media you know we mostly promote our stuff but occasionally we have conversations and interact uh, with people on there and um, we also have a group on facebook if you're a facebook user um where we uh post all kinds of stuff and people promote things and so jump in that it's called cinepunks Funtime hangout group so uh check that out and uh you can also follow both me and josh on twitter uh if you want uh, i'm at liam rules uh, r-u-l-z josh is at uh what is your twitter again
0: it's uh at pokey fat boy p-o-g-i-f-a-t-b-o-y yep uh
1: and we would really appreciate it if you've enjoyed listening to this show that you would tell somebody about it uh throw us a review on the old itunes uh check out our patreon whatever it is just whatever you can do to uh, support us we really appreciate that
0: all right thank you very much and we'll talk to you again soon goodbye goodbye smoke bomb (laughs) (laughs) दो आएंगे देर से फिक्रें सब छोड़ दो आज हक से अपने हिसाब में हम
3: जो करने चले गलती वो जोड़
2: anyone hear us? This is Trey Lawson. And I'm James Hickson. Anyone can hear this broadcast. We need your help. We've been kidnapped
1: and imprisoned in a tomb by this creepy old undertaker named Mr. Gravely. And he's forcing us to review his collection of Marvel horror comics. Stuff like Tomb of Dracula. Werewolf by Night. Man-Thing. Ghost Rider. And so much more. If you can hear this, please contact our families. Tell them we can be found at... You can find James and Trey every other Wednesday at the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. See you there, Tomb Believers.